Our guest today comes with over a decade in the outdoor climbing and guiding industry. He has shared some stories with us about what it's like to be a guide, what it's like to live in the mountains, to guide people on glaciated peaks such as Mount Rainier and other mountains in the Pacific Northwest, as well as Denali, one of the bigger mountains in the world and one of the seven summits. He talks about what his biggest fears are and how he's been able to confront them every day in his career and what's led him to wanting to do that. And in recent, in the recent year, just in this last year, actually, he has started a new business, his own guiding company, and he shares the challenges and lessons that he's taken from that and the learning curve that it took him. And of course, he's still uh, that he's still facing. And we really dove into a lot of interesting topics on this one. We talk all about climbing. There have been some there were some technical terms thrown around, and I do my best to explain what they mean and make it relatable to everyone. Um, we also talk about some of the simple things and some of his philosophy around problem solving and decision making, um, success, and definitely about what it's like to be an entrepreneur and be in this journey. He shares a lot of different tips, things that he would have done differently early on in his career, and also some of his his goals and some of the things that he hopes to accomplish. Please welcome to the show my good friend Max Lurie. This is the Fit for Adventure podcast. My name is Matt, and I'll be your guide on this adventure where you'll get to explore, to learn, and to create unforgettable experiences. We interview leaders in the outdoor industry to learn about lessons they've picked up from adventures and how the outdoors has shaped who they are. Our mission is to connect you to your potential through outdoor experiences and through leadership training so that you can step up and become the leader that you would look up to for your business, for your family, your community, and for yourself. You can learn more about Fit for Adventure by visiting mysummit.academy. And of course, if you are enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review. Now, it's time for the show. So Max, uh, I, I send out a questionnaire before these, and uh, I know I ask, some, I ask some really deep questions sometimes, and one of them is something you're afraid of is about fear, and I love asking that because um, it, it, it's an interesting discussion. Um, and I wanted to start on this because one of the fears that you put was falling, that you're mm-hmm. afraid of falling. And considering your background and what you do for a living, I imagine you you get to face that fear 
pretty frequently. <laughs> could you, uh, could you share? Yeah. With, <laughs> could you share with us like what, what that, like, what, what is it about falling that you're afraid of and, and how are you able to climb the way that you do the frequency that you do without allowing that fear to take over? Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I definitely enjoyed filling that out and um, it gave me the opportunity for some self-reflection on just that. Um, you know, there's a couple of different ways you can look at, at falling. There's like the visceral reaction, like the tightness in your chest and you're just like, you know, you don't want to fall or like you're on a skyscraper looking out a floor to ceiling wind window or or anything like that. And then there's also just like the academic, like, you know, climbing, not wanting to, to fall and talking about like building your anchors and, and all of that. And so it kind of comes in many forms. Um, and, and I would say, you know, as a climber, um, like you said, I, I'm confronted with the very real possibility of falling quite often and have to manage it. And so I think of it more as like a healthy respect for the heights that, that we operate in, that we uh, climbers enjoy and seek out. And so like kind of pushing that boundary and playing with that as, as a potential outcome kind of makes the experience feel more wholesome um and that kind of sounds that kind of sounds like you know an adrenaline sport but like climbing to me anyway really isn't mm -hmm. an adrenaline sport but i do feel that if there isn't consequence then we don't necessarily know how our actions are you know, gonna, gonna play out. Right. And so like, we really need to feel that fear of falling in order to, um, really see kind of what we're capable of. And so it's been a long time in my career of like practicing falling and, uh, you know, climbing above gear and, and just releasing and letting go. Um, there's, there's a whole series called the rock warriors way on just falling in the mental headspace of of that and so i just think it's a really unique topic and um and it's just constantly in the back of my mind whether i'm at work or i'm climbing personally just that it can happen is it okay if it happens here is it not okay if it happens here you know am i okay with either one of those two things um yeah yeah, there's a, I've, I've heard before a lot in the climbing industry about, or even just from uh, climbers, people who do it for fun, people who do it for sport or even professionally at this point, um, a lot of people have said that they are afraid and, and, a, and a, that fear helps to make sure that they're, um, their gear is in properly and their knots are tied properly and they've set the right anchors and, um, and they're checking the, the route out before sending and, and it, and it keeps the safety high. And, and also 
it also requires that, that mental headspace, like, um, you know, deciding whether or not it's worth an attempt sometimes if you're in the wrong headspace or, um, or making the right calls, making the right calls when you're, when you're um, leading up, or you're getting up to that climb or, um, you know, I've been, I've been up on mountains. I just wrote about this. I was up on uh, Mount Washington and in the winter and we got up with it, you know, a couple hundred feet left until the summit and the wind was just too much. And we had to decide like, okay, it's time to go back. And, you know, if we didn't have that fear in the background saying, wait a minute, <laughs> we got to be careful that, you know, some, some bad things can happen. So fear could be pretty useful. I imagine. How do you, how do you help clients? Yeah. Um, Cause you, you guide people, you've guided people, um, you know, on different mountains, different altitudes, different types of uh, sports and different types of climbing. How do you help people manage these expectations or this fear? Yeah, I mean, fear is certainly a strong motivator and it's also a strong focuser. Like you said, you know, it can really make you focus on the task at hand. Um, yeah, so with, with folks that I take into the mountains, um, either you know, big mountains, like, like you mentioned, Mount Washington, sort of alpine conditions or like rock climbing where it's like a vertical wall or ice climbing, you know, that fear or that inhibition can kind of manifest itself in, in different ways. And so, you know, first of all, I like to give folks sort of a progression and like introduce new variables sort of one at a time so that they can get comfortable slowly over time uh and then before they know it they're just like hanging off their fingertips and they're like oh my god i never thought i could do this um but i don't always get it perfect uh and sometimes folks do have that kind of visceral reaction to the fear and and so you can help by coaxing like coaching them or coaxing them um you know sometimes i'll just get right up next to them right up next to them on the cliff where i'm like it's just it's just you and me like we're just right here like mm -hmm. you know just like slow down your breathing just like breathe with me all right now we're just going to lean back we're going to trust the system just sit into your harness we're just going to come down back down to the ground and just kind of hit the reset button um so yeah i mean so it kind of takes takes all kinds and it can manifest in a bunch of different ways and you kind of just have to be able to deal with it when it arises in yourself and and in others yeah i imagine experience helps too the the experience you have seeing people and i'm sure being in certain situations yourself and um and then building some trust between you and another person that you know that helps them trust you more how long have you been in, yeah. in the, how long have you been guiding people or leading people on climbs at this point? Yeah, I've been, um, been guiding kind of since like the early 2010s and then um, full time as my sole source of income since 2014. Um, so coming up on eight years now and I have been working kind of solely for myself as my, as an independent guide mm -hmm. since October of 2021. So relatively right. recently, um, as, uh, as a small business owner, but, uh, but yeah, that's a whole nother journey. And, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I've been, been guiding for about 10 years now, a little nice. bit longer, actually. Yeah. I love, I love to consider especially, yeah, well, starting a business, but um, go, going into business on your own, I love to consider that like climbing a mountain. It's, uh, you have this big thing in mind, there's, there's the summit, it's up there, and you can see it. And it's, and that summit represents the, the freedom of being a business owner and having um, the, the, the ability to decide how you want to go about doing things or what you want to do specifically, who you want to work with. And, um, and it, it's also difficult to get there. And sometimes there's variables, right? Sometimes we have to take a different route than you thought, or you got to go back down and go back up. Um, sometimes you need a team and it takes a lot. It can, and it can take a lot. And then what else? The other thing that happens is you get there and you look across and you realize there's other mountains <laughs> and you decide, oh, I want to go climb that one now. And you just start to see all kinds of opportunities. And, uh, and before we get into that, I do want to um, get a little bit more of like how this all be manifested for you. Because when we started talking, I asked about Denali and you had been there on a, on a research trip um, a while back. Um, but I, I'm really curious um, how you got started in, you know, your, your progression to becoming like what you, who you are now, what you do. And like, what, what is, how did the outdoors and adventure play a role in your life that led you to wanting to do this for a living? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, I grew up in uh, in the woods of Maine on, on a dirt road and, you know, was surrounded by, by wilderness. Um, but there really wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on outdoor recreation. You know, most of the outdoor recreation was like driving a four-wheeler through the woods or going hunting or fishing. And, and I never really participated much in that. But my, my biggest introduction into like climbing, um, hiking, skiing, backpacking, um, you know, canoeing, kayaking, all of that kind of outdoor recreation stuff was with Outward Bound as a, as a teenager. I did, I did a, a two programs with Outward Bound, um, one of which was actually out here in Colorado where I live now. But uh, but that was my first introduction, and what is I was bound? really hooked. Yeah. What's that? What is what is Outward Bound? Could you? Oh yeah. That? So so Outward Bound is a nonprofit organization that does courses for um, for kids, and I think they do some adult programs, but it's mostly like under eighteen between like 13 and 17 years old. And they take them backpacking, canoeing, climbing, mountaineering. And it's, you know, the idea is it's supposed to give them kind of all of the skills that, that we're talking about, right? Like just life skills as an impressionable young youth. And, um, and, and I just, I found that program and, and wanted to do it. And we did, um, it was like two weeks long in Maine. We did a canoeing trip and then we did a, a backpacking trip and we spent like one day rock climbing mm -hmm. and, you know, it was like student led, but the instructors facilitated 
And I just kind of fell in love and was, was hooked ever since. Um, and pursued that all through the rest of high school and then into college. Um, and, you know, I didn't really have any sort of formal instruction outside of kind of like this, this youth group of, of Outward Bound that was like taking, taking kids out. Um, and so, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and am like kind of self-taught until much, much later where I received like professional instruction from the American Mountain Guide Association. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the things that I, I share with my students now is, you know, that good decision-making comes from experience and experience comes from making poor decisions, <laughs> you know? And, and yeah. so, you know, I definitely made a lot of, a lot of poor decisions. Um, thankfully I made it, I made it through and there is a steep learning curve and, um, you know, I, Eventually, like I said, um, went to Denali in, in college, not as, as a climber or a skier, but as a research assistant for kind of a, a scientific expedition up there. And, um, you where know, did you get went to, to out? Were you on, yeah. the, on the glacier, like Talkeetna? Where, where were you? Yeah, well, we flew in from Talkeetna. We landed on um, the Kahilna base camp. And, um, and then from there, we went up to about 10,000 feet. So not super high on the mountain, but that was where our research site was. And we spent like a week up there, um, doing a variety of, of, um, of tests and reconnaissance for uh, a surface to bedrock ice core. Um, for, for our listeners, yeah. um, I want to just... Yeah give, give some context. Like that's, that's about 50% up the way of Denali. Denali's 20. 25. Sort of from sea level, from sea level. Yeah. But you fly into base camp at around 7,000. Right, um, right. So it's really only a few thousand feet above base camp, but it's horizontally quite a ways away. Mm -hmm. Um because as the higher you go on the mountain, sort of the steeper it gets in a way. Right. So you cover more vertical distance for less horizontal distance, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's for for people who don't know what Denali looks like. Like you can yeah, it, it's the, the prominence is almost the entire elevation of the mountain, so about twenty thousand feet, mm -hmm. and it's also spans like the size of Manhattan. Um, yeah it's huge it, it's or bigger it's 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 enormous yeah. so you did yeah. get but you did get to experience like what denali was uh known for its weather patterns and the mm -hmm. weather yeah yeah definitely yeah and so you know we just camped up there and you know i saw all the climbers because the climbers were going past our our camp and i saw them going higher on the mountain and you know i'd be lying if i said it wasn't a little jealous um <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, that's not why we were there. And that was, that was fine. And, mm -hmm. um, but that was part of my, my college education. And, you know, I, I studied the mountains and um, environmental science. And so, you know, I never really wanted to be a guide. Um, it just kind of happened. I <laughs> decided that, 
you know, I wanted to share the mountains with people. Um, and I figured like being in, in academia, you know, I wasn't going to be able to reach as many people, you know, I could maybe like do a research project and publish a paper and, you know, um, have an impact that way. But, uh, you know, I developed as a climber and a lot of my friends were guides and just so happened that they needed an extra person on, on a big day for a large group. And so I went out and just helped out for a day and, and I was hooked and I never really looked back, looked back after that. Um, and I started, started guiding in, in New Hampshire in the White Mountains for, for years, and then left and went to the Pacific Northwest, uh, where I worked on Mount Rainier and in the North Cascades for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, traveled, traveled all over uh, seasonally, and finally settled here in, in Colorado, in, uh, in Boulder, and um, still travel a bit, but I definitely am based based here along the front range so yeah that's kind of my my trajectory yeah. as a as a guide yeah. and, and on the props to guides because in my experience working with some guide companies like when i did mount when i climbed mount rainier the the guides were on top of everything and made it almost a luxury for for us and you know i went with a, a guiding company and um you know it was like two to one so we it was it was we really had a great experience and and i'm talking like we were eating meals that i could compare to restaurants you'd get in the city uh you know and we're at high elevation cooking in a little tent and you guys you guys put in so much effort and work um on top of that you're also experiencing the same thing we're doing like the climbing part which is vigorously challenging especially um, for me coming from sea level but for people in general um, who only do this once in a while or occasionally or once ever and uh, you know I know on Rainier you're you're up you may get up to the summit go back down rest for a day two days later you're back on the mountain and you're just doing that for weeks at a time has that taken like a, a physical toll on your on you, your body? Was that something that was just challenging for you? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, Rainier in particular, because it is just such a beast of a mountain. You know, I, I definitely spent a handful of seasons where I would climb to the summit, you know, 20 plus times in a season. Uh, and that's, that's a lot for yeah. sure, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely take care of, of my body as best I can. I wish I had started earlier, but, uh, you know, I see uh, a PT here in, in Boulder pretty regularly. And, you know, I go get massages and, you know, am always like foam rolling and stretching and, and just taking care of my body because it is how I make a living, but it's also how I enjoy the mountains too, you know. So I would say it is it is really hard to do what I do as often as I do for work and then also like achieve one's own like my own personal mm -hmm. climbing goals 
you know, um, you have any right because, now. yeah, because I just don't have any, because <laughs> I don't have enough time to rest. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, um, you know, it's, it's funny. They've changed over the years. Um, but, but right now I'm honestly just really excited on, uh, sport climbing and, and pushing the grades for myself, um, a little bit harder. You know, I, I don't have any like big goals of, climbing like specific peaks in in far away far-fetched places um i certainly have done that in the past and and will do that again um but i think with with covid and and everything i've just been really excited to explore mm-hmm. the area or closer to home um without traveling internationally um although i think international travel has certainly opened up again yeah. as of late. And so I think that's back on the table for me. Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, for, yeah, for this summer, I just want to push the grades. Nice. So. Did you, have you been into sport climbing for a while or is that something you're just getting into or you're starting to explore more now because it's because you've been isolated or you, you've been sticking to Boulder more? or like sticking to your area more often? Yeah, well, I mean, as as a climber, I've always known about and, and been yeah. a sport climber, um, but certainly not to the level that many of my peers or, you know, just, just friends are um, because I'm more of a jack of all trades, right? Like, you yeah. know, ice climbing, alpine climbing, mountaineering, um, you know, all of these other skill sets and, you know, sport climbing takes so much dedication because it's kind of like the isolation of the physical movement. You know, it's not like up on a big mountain somewhere where you have to carry a big heavy pack. It's just like the gymnastic mm-hmm. movement with like very simple technical systems to keep it safe. And so every year that passes, I almost, I always feel like a beginner again with, with sport mm-hmm. climbing. Um, because I just don't do it at the same level as, as many of my colleagues, but, um, but yeah, I would definitely say mm-hmm. that, that I am a sport climber and that, that I do enjoy it quite a bit and, uh, and get, get quite a bit of reward out of the successes when, when things do go well. You, you brought up the, we started talking about fear, man. And, and uh, the first time I ever tried sport climbing, there, mm-hmm. was, a, there was a lot of that. <laughs> there was a lot of that fear. Uh, and it was in a gym. It wasn't even outdoors. It was in a climbing gym. And, uh, and, you know, I could get up the first quarter of the climb without a problem, get to the first, uh, the first bolt or the second bolt. And then, and then you start getting a little higher up and it's 30 feet or so or 40 feet in the air. It's not that much. There's a soft pad down there, but you're still five, 10 feet above the, the, the Caribbean. Or, yeah. And oh man, but I, I remember like one day I went in and I told my friend, just catch me. And I just got up to the same spot on the same climb like a dozen times and let go mm-hmm. uh, just to feel uh, allow myself to feel that and sit in it for a while and it's it's challenging every single time man and people f- flash these things and you know it seems so so impressive 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. I, yeah. Go ahead. What, um, what's been a moment? This is a question I really wanted to ask. What's been a moment um, that you've had in your career? And it could be climbing, sport climbing, or maybe it's ice climbing, maybe it's mountaineering anything but a moment where you were afraid like really afraid mm. um because you made a mistake or because you underestimated something yeah um how did you, you overcome it too <laughs> yeah it's a great question you know um and there's honestly a, a lot of examples that, that come to mind i mean it could be anything as small as you know being on a on a trad climb and you like move the rope away like a certain way and it just like pulls your last piece of protection like if it's a stopper or something just pulls it out and then it just like goes down mm. down the rope to the last one and you're like oh man like you know now i'm you know 40 feet above my last piece or mm. whatever and you know, and you're like, I call that like unintentional soloing. Um, so, you know, anything, <laughs> yeah, you're starting to do some math and it's like not good math. Um, and so, yeah, I mean like a situation like that, you know, you just kind of have to take stock. You got to calm your breathing down, um, just relax a little bit. Can you put in a piece of gear right where you are? Um, you know, how hard is the climbing, you know, do I want to go down? Do I want to go up? You know, just all of that kind of immediate decision-making and, you know, that fear of falling comes into play. Um, and just that focus of decision-making in the moment and having the confidence to know that you can overcome this obstacle um and and do so with a clear head because like once you start getting tunnel vision and once you start freaking out it's kind of this negative feedback loop uh and and that's something that you really want to just stave off um because it's not going to do you any good and so yeah that's one situation that comes to mind um did you end up you know, Placing yeah. new gear and keeping go keep going up or did you sometimes yeah it really depends like yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll be able to reach a spot where i could place gear right there yeah um you know sometimes it's like oh if i just go up a little bit further then i can place something sometimes it's like oh i need to down climb um to place a piece and then i can continue up you know so it's just like Again, just staving off that tunnel vision because you need to have that once you, though, yeah, yeah, like once you can't see the periphery, um, that's kind of when when bad things start to happen for sure. Yeah, so, so uh, it's so common sometimes, you know, to and, and that's not yeah. a mistake you made on purpose, you know, which is sure is happening, yeah. and and the the fact that you are prepared to handle that emotionally and and technically like you know what your options are which is important um mm -hmm. and you know what it's going to take right you know you can't freak out and you have to yeah. 
you have to, you know, make some really crucial decisions and, and every, mm -hmm. every decision that you make is going to be important. So it has to be the right one. How do you, how yeah. do you, um, in, in moments like that, and this happens all the time in, uh, in adventuring adventure sports and in, um, I've know I've found this in business too, um, is you're going to be faced with decisions to make, mm -hmm. right. That you weren't expecting to make. And, uh, and sometimes you really have to sit down and think, what's your process for that? How do you, how do you make decisions or what do you, what do you weigh when you are making decisions like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, um, another thing that, that comes to mind is like, I, I tell folks often that they go to the mountains to discover the world, right? Like we all like want to see the world and discover the mountains, but really we just end up discovering our own internal landscape mm. you know because the mountains just like reflect back to us yeah you know who we are and and i find that to be really powerful and, and meaningful um and so you know with those decisions because i'm constantly making i don't want to say life and death decisions but but in in all fairness they are mm -hmm. um on a pretty regular basis and so you know, you always want to have a reason for doing something or not doing something, you know, and, and often in, in climbing in life, um, there are many different ways to get to an outcome or, or achieve some goal. And how we go about it also matters, right? And so we want to just have reason and critical thought go into why we're choosing the method that we are choosing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily like one is better all the time or one is, you know, worse all the time. It's more this kind of area of gray and I see folks get decision fatigue a lot, especially new leaders, especially new leaders who are confronted with all of these things like, oh, do I place here? Do I move up? Should I extend this piece? You know, where should I build the belay? And, and you're like, yeah, these are all really great questions. I just want you to have a reason for why you're doing it mm. in this certain way and then you know just have the confidence to believe in yourself that you know you can overcome whatever repercussions may happen for the decision mm -hmm. that you made because when you're confronted with all the information that you have at any particular time you're going to make the best decision that you can in that moment mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're not going to like go back and change it or, you know, move forward and have some hindsight, but at least that doesn't paralyze you in, in the moment, That's a really which, great which is often what happens. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's a great point. And what I'm hearing is, um, you know, you describe a lead climber doing it for the first time and uncertain that they're making the right decision on where they place their gear. And, uh, and that's because of a lack of experience and just not knowing what the potential outcome would be. But you're saying if they understand what that piece of gear does, 
what their intention is with it, you know, um, are they, do they have some sort of process for making that decision? Um, it's a matter of like, you, you have to make a decision and then trust that you can follow through, right? Be confident yeah. in yourself. And, and, and I tell people that all the time is like, you're always making decisions and more than likely you're making the best one you can with the information you have. And, and there's sometimes where you're not going to get any more information like this is it. So you have to make something up. <laughs> you have to do, you have to do something. Um, and when you're leading a climb, yeah, you, it's up or down. Like you want to keep going yeah. up, you, you got to it's make a decision, right? You either keep climbing, you find a better place, you find a better position, or you, you deal with what you have. Um, but that confidence piece, man, is crucial. That take it takes it's pretty bold to to confidently confidently place something in and just keep going, right? Without thinking in the background, like I wonder if that was the right spot, which I'm sure happens anyway. And then it gets better, right? It it becomes almost automatic over time. Like you you know that one size. Uh, piece of gear is exactly the right fit for that spot. You know what it's going to do if you fall at this angle. Yeah, right? a lot of a lot of the listeners for the from this are are business owners and they're entrepreneurs and um, you know maybe they can relate to this this topic of climbing. But essentially, like as you're going through, especially the startup stages of a business, like you're <laughs> you're constantly making decisions. Like, should I buy this piece of equipment? Should I invest in this? Should I put my time here? right? Should I, um, should we do advertising, all kinds of things. And truthfully, you don't know what, what's going to pay off, but you go with what you think is going to work. And you do some research and you try to learn from mentors and other resources. And five, 10 years later, you, you have failed plenty of times and you know exactly what you should do. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I mean, I think a lot of it to some degree is definitely that trial and error component. Um, and yeah, and you just do the best with, with what you got. And, you know, I think reflection and hindsight is certainly, certainly important, you know, but don't let that fear of moving forward paralyze you. Do you have a process for reflection? Um, like, do you keep a journal or anything after you do a climb or um, just to keep the um, thoughts in your head? You know, I, I don't keep a journal or record of, of that kind of stuff, but one debriefing tool that I use, uh, particularly when I'm teaching avalanche education in the winter is, and, and this can apply for for anything in the mountains. But I like to say, you know, when were we most at risk today, mm -hmm. right? And if we were to do the exact same day again, what, if anything, would we do differently? Mm. And so, you know, it's okay to say, no, I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, and it's okay to acknowledge and accept a certain amount of risk, right? But if there were any way that you would make the day better, I find that it's just useful to reflect on that so that you can then implement that into 
tomorrow, right? Or the next time. You can do it on a good day too. You can do it on a good day. Absolutely. For sure. And so, you know, a career in, in the mountains of climbing or, or, you know, business or whatever, you know, you do that for, for a decade and you're just going to get better. You're going to get more efficient. You're going to change and update your practices and you know you're just going to find that the things happen easier because you're not trying to do the same exact thing every time with the same outcome uh and and it's just not working right so i find that that's just a really powerful debriefing tool to ask you know when were we most at risk and that can be you know financially that can be you know leveraging assets or, or whatever for for a small business um and you know what if anything would we do differently about this process or this day and that just kind of helps inform for next time that sound that's really uh that's a really simple approach to to it and yeah. it's all, and it's all that's necessary too yeah and, uh, and even on like, yeah, even on the good days, what I like to do is celebrate the wins. Like I'll look at the things that I did really well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you do that enough, you begin to see other areas that you can apply that to like, like you, you did well because you made some decision that was right in time. Where else can you apply that? Where else can you apply that good mm-hmm. decision-making the, the right thinking or the right uh, way of approaching a challenge? Yeah. Um, curious more about your, your business. And you said you started on your own just in the last uh, year. Um, mm-hmm. Congratulations, by the way, because I know. Thank you. You, you, you. Just, just getting started is like the honeymoon phase of start of business. And it is so much fun because it's very passion driven. And mm-hmm. when you, and if you can maintain that, it gets, it continues to get better and it's, and Hey, like I said before, you get to do all the things that you love and um, kind of be free to make those decisions. Um, what tell us about your business? What what is it that you're aiming to do that's different from what you were doing previously? Yeah, well, on the face of it, I'm I'm not really doing much different in the field. Like I'm still teaching mountaineering and teaching climbing and taking folks out, which is all the same. Uh, The only difference is now I'm more in charge of, you know, attracting the folks and um, I'm more responsible for the advertising and acquiring permits and insurance and and all of that sort of administrative stuff. And, you know, and with that, um, of course, there's the financial motivator, like working for myself, Mm -hmm. I, make a a higher wage on those days that I do go out than if I were working for someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also just more rewarding to kind of build my own brand, um, to have uh, a niche and to have folks like seek me out specifically. It's like very, very touching and very meaningful to, you know, them to seek me out for mentorship and, and instruction is, is just a really, really awesome feeling. So, you know, on, on the face of it, it's not different, although I have really enjoyed 
leaning into and learning all of the other parts of being a small business owner and working for myself that weren't part of my job mm. previously. And, and it's been really fun to kind of just learn again. And because in my profession, I'm, I'm kind of like at, at the top of where I can be. I mean, we're always learning, we're always adapting and improving, but like to kind of be a beginner again at something totally different has been um, really fun and empowering, uh, but also like, you know, moments of sheer terror, right? Like if the <laughs> phone doesn't ring or, you know, if email inquiries don't come in, then, you know, I'm like, all right, like, am I, am I going to work this week or not? Right. So um, again, it kind of comes back to like having that confidence and, you know, believing in, in yourself that, you know, you're worth it, that you're good enough. Um, and, and, and hustling too, right? Like, you know, it becomes more than, than a full-time job. Cause you kind of just like eat, breathe and sleep mm -hmm. your business for, you know, however long, maybe forever, but, um, until it kind of develops some momentum and, and a life of its own. And I've been really enjoying that, that phase. Yeah. yeah. It's, I like to call it work-life integration. <laughs> it mm, become yeah. the same. Um, I like that. Yeah. And that's a, it's a good thing because, um, you know, a lot of people look for balance between those two things. And, and if you need balance, then it's very likely that you're either, A, you don't like your life very much, mm. or B, like you're, the thing you do for work is taking away from your life. And I like to do things that add to my life. I mean, I'm sure you can sure. same. like, yeah, you know, always. there's, there's got to be a reason why you, you commit to doing these things over and over again. And um, you definitely find joy in it, you know. Um, and it's also your passion, like you have goals, you do this, because like, there's things you want to do. Um, mm -hmm. Like, there's definitely like, physical pursuits that I want. Like I told you before, I want to climb Everest. I want to get on Denali. Mm -hmm. And um, I also like educating people. I like teaching people um, about, about leadership and about um, adventure and, and having fun and, um, and to be able to, to integrate those is ideal, you know? And I also love that you said you, you're finding the learning per process to be fun. The, mm -hmm. the learning curve i call that the white belt mentality like you're doing something you're in the moment for the sake of learning and it's enjoyable what, did you find that learning curve to be challenging though like in the beginning were, were you finding it difficult like there were things you struggled with yeah yeah certainly i mean there were definitely like certain topics and certain things that i was like all right i know nothing about this right and so I just like go to the Google machine and I'm like, all right, I'm going to just kind of learn about this for a little bit, you know, and then like talk to folks who either work in that field or, you know, and, um, and seek out mentorship, just like I mentor other people, you know, seek out mentors myself, uh, to, to help me kind of, you know, do, do all the things that, that I needed to, that I was learning for the first time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Where are you hoping to take 
this the from a business perspective um if you have if you have a bigger goal or vision for it as a business um do you have something in mind like do you want it to grow to a certain point or do you want to um, be able to scale it what's what's your bigger vision yeah totally um you know i've had folks ask me if if i want to have other guides like working for me eventually mm-hmm. um i even was very flattered. I received an email a few weeks back. Uh, someone was asking if they could be my intern. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I'm happy to mentor you, but like, I don't really have anything like I can, you know, like, I feel like I would be taking advantage of someone if, if they were to be my intern at this, at this stage of the game. Um, but yeah, my, my vision for it is to fill out my own schedule as much as I want and as far out as, as I want to, to work so that I can be comfortable and kind of have that security to know that I've got those days on the books. And then I would like to grow it enough so that I can then give work away to other certified guides in the area who who I respect or colleagues and help them kind of grow as well. So, you know, that's kind of my ultimate vision. I don't want to be like any big sort of conglomerate or, or anything. Yeah. Um, just a, just a one man show, but, uh, but yeah, I would love to be able to help uplift those around me in, in the profession and, and give some, some days away um, that, that I wouldn't be able to fulfill myself. Man, so. if I could point something out that I'm noticing, and uh, and I got this even from the questionnaire that I yeah. sent out, like the questions, like there's a there's a big sense of humility about you in what you do. Mm. Um, well, thank you, know, you. You're welcome, man. And a lot of a lot of people, um, you know, get into something like starting a business or working for themselves, and then they get hung they get really obsessed with either making a lot of money or um, growing it uh, to, to scale. And that's, that's great too. There's a lot to be said for people who can do that. Um, and um, the fact that your, your biggest intention is to get to a point where you can give work away is really, um, yeah, it's, it's impressive in, in the way that you think in that. And there's, I, I respect that man, the humility it takes. Um, and when this is what I've noticed in the climbing community, like everyone is so supportive of each other, um, in each other's growth, um, especially, um, especially with the, the high level of risk with what you do. Um, it's really a community of people that's built around trust and built Mm -hmm. around, uh, and built around like growth and community has there have, have you had you've had mentors i'm sure but has anyone been that person for you like supported you in that way given you work when you needed it or um... yeah yeah certainly you know um definitely like folks back in new hampshire i can certainly think of some mentors that worked with me as a candidate on like guide track programs right so like to be a certified guide Mm -hmm. um you have to take 
courses and exams through the American Mountain Guide Association. And so I've certainly had mentors in that arena that have helped me with, you know, just finding my way as a guide and, and have also like sat down and, and made sure that like I had the right motivations, that, you know, I was going about it the right way. And, you know, there's definitely things that, that they've shared with me that have shaped my career over the years. And um, yeah, and I just want to return, return that favor to the, to the next generation. I don't necessarily feel like I'm, you know, old and, and like ready to, you know, just like dispense wisdom, but, but I certainly, certainly have been around the block a little bit and, and can help those who are trying to get into the industry. So, yeah, yeah, and it's it's an industry where it, like any experience is good experience. Like if you can learn, you can learn mm -hmm. from, from people. Um, yeah, a, a ton. What what is one of those lessons? Like what's something that you've learned over the years that you're really like grateful for? Like what's what's one of those lessons that you picked up? Something that that you uh, you weren't really certain of, or you you were happy to yeah. like, finally figure out. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've got I've got two things. One is more philosophical, and the other one is like really tangible. Awesome. Um, so I'll start with the tangible one, and you know, and and that is if you're working for for guide service, if you are a mountain guide and you're working for a big service, uh, I still suggest making your own LLC. And, and making your own company or business. And then that will allow you to write off so many expenses like travel, food, equipment. Um, and then that will um, just set you up for success in the future. And it's just a smart financial move, even if you don't have any intention of kind of like going out on your own and, and being your own guide service, you can still write off all of those expenses, even if you're, you know, an employee somewhere else. So, so were you, were you, are, are guides for the most part paid as independent contractors then? No, they're, they're mostly employees. They're okay. not like 1099 um, contractors. Yeah. So um, yeah, so they're, they're usually like full-time full employees or it's not even full-time employees. It's kind of this weird gray area because it's not like 40 hours a week. It's, yeah. it's this weird like per diem kind of industry. Um, and, you know, guide service owners will unfortunately just take advantage of yeah. younger inexperienced guides. And so you know, by forming your own LLC, it gives you a little bit of, of independence, not that you have any certifications or permits or insurance on your own, but at least you can deduct something on your taxes. So that's something that I wish someone had told me a long time ago. Um, and then the more philosophical piece of advice would be, be really deliberate about what you expect to get out of a career, right? It could be mountain guiding, it could be anything. Um, 
so often I run into college age or just post college age individuals who studied something and have a bunch of student loan debt and you know they either want to be a mountain guide or or whatever and you know they're just not set up to be financially stable right because nobody taught them like we don't learn any of these skills in in school about investing in our future and like picking a career that is aligned with you know what our financial goals are um and so you know what i'm what i'm saying is like be really deliberate with what you expect to get out of any endeavor um and and particularly young aspiring mountain guides you know i say like hey like these are like the benefits of of this career are amazing but like there are a lot of sacrifices that you're going to have to make and just be deliberate with those decisions based on you know the outcome that you want like if it's okay to make certain sacrifices or not um you always want to just be deliberate with that decision making so it isn't something that just like happens you don't reflect 10 20 years later and you're like dang you know i really wanted whatever x y and z you know this career choice or this career path didn't allow me to achieve those things you're like well if it was so important to you then maybe you you could have chose a different a different path um, i mean of course hindsight is 2020 but mm -hmm. we do the best we can with what we got and just be deliberate with yeah. your expectations that seems to be a theme for this conversation doing what you can and uh, yeah the deliberate, <laughs> the deliberate decision making too is, mm -hmm. and i was talking to somebody recently like um you know oftentimes and i i i'm I know people who just go with the flow of things and, and live that way because they expect great outcomes and, and sometimes they get lucky, but wouldn't you want the deck stacked in your favor? Um, and, and yeah, like you pointed out a great problem. And this is with our education system is that there's, there's none when it comes to financial education and even just goal setting with when it comes to what you want out of a career, what you yeah. want financially, how to achieve that, like, we're just, it's just, okay, at this age, maybe I'll graduate college, then I'll get some job, then eventually I'll buy a house and the whole, you know, the whole life is pre-written, but you don't really understand how it's going to happen. Right. You're just hoping eventually you'll pick up the information, but, but yeah, I wish I took the time when I was uh, much younger to think about these things and decide how I want to allocate my money. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what I really want when I'm 30, when I'm 35, 40, whatever. Um, and, um, and also what I've found is even if you aren't sure, it, if you make some decision, you can always change it mm -hmm. at least, but, but at least be working towards something, right. Go in, yeah. go in a direction. Right. It, it's funny. I, I used to go climbing with my friend, uh, a bunch and, you know, we went, we'd go places. He was way more experienced with me. And, 
we'd get to a crag and and it's been like it's like a climb that he's familiar with and and I'm like where do you where do you think I should start what should I do he's like I'll just go up (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) what do I do first go up like that's that's a good direction like that's a good start (laughs) at least yeah start with that like I get it like I gotta go that way right instead of standing here and hoping that the the summit comes down toward me you know right it's pretty funny yeah those are those are great lessons and i and uh, the llc uh idea is is a really good idea because there's so much gear there's so many things yeah there's so much travel involved and i'm sure mm-hmm. guide companies are not paying for that like they're not they're not giving you stipends or helping you out unless they're really noble you know yeah i mean some of some of them do but it's never it's never like as much as it needs to be yeah Yeah, it's never it's never enough you know it doesn't cover Um, one boot you know i'm sure right yeah you're like you're not gonna climb a mountain with one boot boot. (laughs) yeah yeah you got a left boot and a right crampon and that's not gonna cut it When, when I start, yeah. when I first like really dove in and I wanted to start getting into mountaineering, I, 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 I booked Mount Rainier. That was my mm-hmm. first like big, big climb. And I had some, I had some of the gear, uh, the climb, I had all the climbing gear because I had done a ton of climbing and some mm-hmm. of the like cold temperature stuff. I had a sleeping bag and and things like that, but then I started looking at the, like, oh, I need mountaineering boots and crampons and, and all of this stuff. And next thing I know, my credit card bill is like $4,000. Yeah. Um, or you could, or you could rent, you know, obviously rent some of that stuff, which I ended up mm-hmm. doing because I, uh, I didn't know what was good for me, what sizes and, and things like that. And now, yeah. now I'm, I'm like slowly collecting everything. I've got all, you know, I can, I can manage a decent, mountaineering trip at this point with all the stuff i have yeah <laughs> looks like you've got a ton in the background i'm sure you've collected i, years. I do yeah there's there's more to the sides and then oh, yeah. behind as well but um yeah i mean I, I generally tell folks i'm like if you're planning on doing something and you're going to need to like rent a piece of equipment for more than seven days mm. it's worth it to just buy um but also Climbing equipment is just so specialized. Um, there is something to be said about like the try before you buy mm-hmm. and learning kind of just the nuances of like the different mountain axes, the different boots, crampons, harnesses, you know, the clothing, um, all of that can be super overwhelming. And so um, and there's so many brands too. Yeah. Like you don't know what's going to fit. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three days in, like, what's it gonna feel like? There's so many variables, man. Yeah, you make a mistake yeah. with something like that. You ever, you ever wear the wrong thing? Oh yeah. Oh totally. I mean, yeah. I don't want to say all the time, but to like some some degree, yeah. I'm always like, oh man, like, I really wish I had this jacket today, but I just didn't bring it, you know. Or be like, man, these boots are a little bit light for today. Or like, I wish I had a stiffer cramp on, mm-hmm. you know. Or or something just because the conditions aren't exactly what I anticipated. So there's one question I love to ask some people Mm -hmm. um, who are into this. Uh, 
and it's more of a fun question. Like what, what is one non-essential item that you always carry with you? Hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, gummy bears or gummy. any sort of, any sort of like, you know, gummy candy. Um, I tell folks that as long as you keep me like stocked with, uh with gummy bears we'll keep walking uphill but like the second i run out of gummy bears like we're turning around that's great a buddy of mine would uh, would always bring like a stuffed animal and i thought it was ridiculous oh yeah (laughs) yeah totally but people bring all kinds of stuff i've seen some wild things uh on summits before uh like Mm -hmm. little action figures or dolls or something and it's fun though everyone has their their reason for Mm-hmm. for climbing and and the thing that that motivates them and keeps them going keeps them inspired yeah you said yeah. you told you said you answered in you know one of the questionnaire questions that you really love seeing people's success like summit success is there a is there one that's memorable for you like most memorable or one of your yeah, there, that was most there is that you're proud of. Um, yeah, there there's definitely one that is that is most most memorable that kind of sticks out um, above all the others. So and it actually has to do with with Denali. Um, so years years ago, I was a a member of the mountain rescue service in North Conway, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And we got a call for this woman who was up on the, the presidential traverse, which is, you know, high mountains above Alpine, you know, in the Alpine. I mean, I know you're familiar with it, but Mount Washington, mm-hmm. if you like Mount Madison um, in the Northern, Northern Prezies. And a big storm came in and she was um, lost. She had hit her spot locator beacon. Mm. And so we went to the trailhead. Uh, Fishing game was already there. Um, her next of kin or fiance was, was in the parking lot. Is this a winter? And, you know, winter? This is in the winter, yeah. And so um you know just a big big storm it was really really cold really windy and you know we we searched all night um and unfortunately we were we were not able to get to her in time Um, another team found her the following day Mm. um and it was it, it just is what it is. And that was, that was really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, for me as, as a volunteer rescuer, you know, that was, that certainly stuck out. I mean, whenever we have a fatality like that, it, it's certainly heartfelt um, and, and tragic. Um, but there was, you know, a disconnect as, as like a professional. Uh, a lot of folks in, in healthcare will talk about that as well. Um, fast forward a few years, I was teaching. Oh, and, and by the way, she was up there. On, this is important. She was up there prepping for uh, training for Denali. That's why mm-hmm. she was doing 
a solo traverse of the Prezies in a in the winter. She was prepping and training for Denali. So fast forward a few years, I was teaching out here in Colorado a Denali prep course, you know, a, a course that teaches folks how to climb Denali more or less in, in a handful of days. And, you know, we went out into Rocky Mountain National Park, we camped, um, it was a small group of people, you know, we all got to know one another quite well. And it was a successful course, we came back to Estes Park, which is kind of the town outside of Rocky, and we're just debriefing. And, um, you know, we, we said our goodbyes, and we closed the course out. And, you know, I was like, heading to my car, um, the course was over. And one of the participants came up to me and said, hey, you know, you mentioned that you had spent a lot of time in New Hampshire and we're on the mountain rescue team. Do you remember this particular rescue? And, um, and immediately I, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And so this this fella who, this guy who was on my course was the fiance of the woman who passed away on the mountain. And he was not a climber at that time. Um, and he undertook this whole thing. Um, and he then himself wanted to climb Denali to spread her ashes on the summit to complete her journey for her. Um, so needless to say, we sat down and, and sat at the picnic table and, and talked for a while. And, you know, he thanked me for like going up to look for her. And like, I apologize that like, you know, we couldn't get to her in time. And, and, you know, of course we both like were emotional. Yeah. Um, and then it actually turned out that I was going to be on Denali at the same time as him that summer. Um, he was climbing with a, with a different group, but I was actually gonna be on the mountain at the same time as him. And so he was gonna be ahead of me. His, his team was there like a week or so ahead of my team. And so when I flew onto the glacier, I knew he was already there. Mm -hmm. and, and I knew which guide service he was going with. And so um, at 14 camp, which is kind of like the last major, um, like you can, if you can call it outpost of civilization, yeah. <laughs> um, before going on to the upper mountain, um, when I finally got to 14 camp, I knew that he was on, on the upper mountain. So I um, contacted the, the guide services that he was with and asked them, you know, just on, on the status of that. And um, he had made a successful summit. He was able to spread her ashes off the summit. And, um, and then he, he like was coming back down and like, I saw him at, at 14 camp and gave him like a huge hug. And like, you know, we both just like started crying and um, it was just like this unbelievable journey you know for for me to be kind of part of his process you know over the course of years of 
losing his fiance to the mountains, becoming a mountaineer to complete her journey for her. And, you know, and then like be part of his saying goodbye. And, um, and it was just like probably the, the most moving experience I've ever had and been privy to someone else's journey in the mountains. And, um, you know, and, I, I don't know if he continued climbing after that. I, I would honestly guess that that he maybe didn't, you know, it was kind of just, he wanted to do that for her to say goodbye. And um, like it was fulfilled. And then he was done. Yeah. He, he fulfilled it and he was able to move on. And, um, and I've never had a connection like that with, someone from a rescue standpoint to like an educational standpoint to like being on the mountain with them. And, um, yeah, that's definitely one of the most moving experiences I've had of being privy to someone else's journey. That's, that's really powerful, man, that you got to, uh, see that through. And I can, uh, I've heard a lot of stories about the white mountains, you know, that's, uh, yeah. It's um, under people underestimate it for sure. They do. They really do. Yeah. I've even heard about that that particular story because there's there's a few that that are told often mm-hmm. by guides yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. They they actually someone um, wrote wrote a book about that particular yeah, exactly. incident um, and. Yeah, I mean, it's tragic and it's unfortunate, you know, but I, I think there's a variety of reasons that contribute to those mountains being so deadly, unfortunately. Um, you know, not to say that that she was unprepared or, or inexperienced, you know, it's just a series of unfortunate events um, and accidents do happen. And, you know, and the White Mountains are certainly famous for claiming a lot of lives. Yeah, and unpredictable circumstances, you know, and Mm -hmm. with anyone looking to undertake something like Denali, you know what you're getting into, and you you know what the risks are. Um, And even in the training, you know, for it, it's there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of commitment and sacrifice. And, um, you know, I tell I talk to people all the time about my goals to to climb um, to climb Everest in the future, um, which has been a dream of mine since I'm seven, seven years old. Mm -hmm. And and finally, like, and, and, you know, there's harder, I mean, Everest is hard. It's definitely over commercialized now. And I've had thoughts of like, do I really want this? Like I could, I could do anything else. But, but even just to chase the goal, um, Mm -hmm when I finally sat down and thought about what it takes from a, from a financial perspective, from a time perspective, from a risk perspective, you know, I'm a new father and um, a business owner and I have all these other things on my plate and, and still the, the idea of doing this is it's hard to get rid of, you know, Mm. once, once that idea gets in your head uh, it's really hard to get rid of. And, and sometimes you're, you make sacrifices 
um, I don't want to say like without thinking of the consequences, but you're more likely to make, to take the risk, you know, Hmm. um, I'd be more likely to, you know, go up to Mount Washington several times. Sure. Um, whereas if that wasn't a goal, right. If some, if there wasn't a bigger pursuit in mind, then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stick to the cat skills (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) Um, and even then there's some danger there I've climbed like yeah. in, in like all oh, the Adirondacks in the winter can get pretty brutal and totally <laughs> yeah um but when but I, and I noticed this with with entrepreneurs too there's there's something there's something wrong with us well that's one thing that <laughs> uh, <laughs> you you leave us and you leave the sense of security and safety on the table um, and you, mm-hmm. and you go into this knowing that there's, there's risk of, of inevitable failure. Um, I don't want to say inevitable failure, but, but at the very least there's risk of, uh, an unfavorable outcome. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's the wisdom that you need to turn around and, you know, live to climb another day as, as they say. Right. Um, but Thank you. Thanks for sharing that story. I got a little emotional as you were telling that because I could see, I could like see where it's going, you know. And uh, yeah, and what a what a beautiful coincidence to have run into him in Colorado on your course, and then yeah, happened to be up on Denali at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it brings tears <laughs> to my eyes just telling it every time. Still, and like you know, and that's been that's been year. I mean, we were on Denali and that was 2017. So, I mean, that was five years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's, it's still, it gets me every time. Um, for sure. But one thing I I wanted to say was, uh, a large percentage of the folks who, who hire me, who want to go into the mountains are entrepreneurs and do own their own businesses. And, you know, part of that is certainly like the the financial component of being able to employ my services. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but that's that's also you know put that in the plus column for yeah. for entrepreneurship. Um, you know, and there's a lot of pluses. <laughs> yeah, there's there's certainly a, certainly a lot of pluses, definitely. And you know, one thing that that I notice is, is just exactly what you said, right? It's like in order to have this reward, you kind of have to take risks, you know? Like if you play it safe all the time, yeah, okay, you might get like the safe outcome, but it's like, is, is that outcome even what you want, mm-hmm. right? And so, I've noticed that, you know, a lot of folks who are drawn to, to the mountains have the same sort of insatiable drive mm-hmm. to, to create or, you know, just be creative, um, to fill a niche or, you know, just not fit in, in the same box that that society at large kind of wants to 
put them into. And, you know, that gives them financial freedom, you know, time to pursue these mountainous pursuits. Um, and, and you know, and, there. <laughs> yeah, li literally and figuratively. And, uh, you know, and, and that in and of itself is kind of this feedback loop. It's, it's like you're able to have these experiences and then like come back to your work with more clarity mm -hmm. and maybe see things in a new way that, that then leads to more success down the road. Um, you know, and, and like the juxtaposition of often I'll be in the mountains and like, you know, just like the most wild, crazy place. And I would just be having these conversations with people, um, you know, about their expertise, about their entrepreneurship, you know, and, and I'll be asking questions like, you know, like we'll be on like literally the side of a mountain. I'll be like, so, so what is the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA, you know, and like. <laughs> You know, and, and it's just like this free exchange of, of information. And um, and I just find that so invaluable. And, yeah. and I, I just cherish those moments so much, you know, because I get to, to share, like, and ask them questions about their passion while sharing my passion with them. Um, but I've certainly noticed that a high percentage of the folks that I work with are entrepreneurs yeah. themselves i think it, well, you, like you said they have the financial freedom and the time like you, the, you either need to be uh you need to be retired you need to ha be unemployed or you need to be self-employed to, to do some <laughs> right. things like yeah like uh, denali is like a 20-day expedition you know and right it's a lot of time you can't like you can't put in for vacation at a regular job and say i'm gonna be gone for three weeks <laughs> Um, yeah most jobs right and um right and then also like you probably to do denali you, have, you probably have to spend a week in the pacific northwest or colorado and do some training and you know your weekends yeah. are spent in the mountains and it, it it takes a lot man and it takes a lot of willpower uh mm -hmm. dedication uh conviction man and one other thing i noticed um in and this is separate from climbing, but in entrepreneurs in general, and I used to experience a ton of imposter syndrome, like, especially mm. when I was younger and just starting out. And I had opened a, a gym when I was 23 years old. And, and, and I was like, who am I to, to one run a business or train people like older than me? What are they going to, who are they going to listen to me? Um, and, and as I got older, more, experience more failures under my belt and um a lot more uh wisdom i realized uh people are are very open-minded and and especially entrepreneurs especially business owners they're they're generally passionate about what they do and like what you just described is you get to be in this experience and you're sharing your skills and your knowledge like I've been doing a podcast for several years now and interviewing all kinds of people. And I realized like they're, you know, whether, whether it's, um, you know, a friend of mine that I've known forever or, um, you know, someone who I would look up to as a mentor in business, like everyone just wants to share their, their little niche gift, their unique talent and the thing that, that motivates them. And if you can, 
if you can feel, if you can be curious enough, you're going to get, um, you're going to get a lot out of, uh, of a conversation and of your life. And that's been my approach in the last couple of years as I've evolved as a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a, as a leader and as a mentor to other people is, is I'm leading with curiosity and oftentimes I'm going to go where that takes me. And I've learned a ton, man. I've learned so much and it's, and it's been, it's been so much fun too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really great advice for sure. Um, yeah. Just follow the curiosity. Absolutely. I want to yeah. be, um, I'm, I want to be mindful of your time. And um, I've got two more questions I want to ask before we finish up one of them. Yeah, please. What I know you said like you, you're open to bigger goals and um, you know, doing something, you know, in another country at some point, but is there, is there one adventure that you've always wanted to, to take, or is there one thing you've always wanted to do and what is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have always wanted to go down to, to Patagonia and, you know, climb Fitzroy and, you know, other, other peaks in that range. And it's always just absolutely fascinated me because it's kind of like an alpinist playground down there. Um, harsh weather, huge mountains, glaciers, um, you know, technical rock climbing, mixed climbing. It's just the culmination of all of the skills that I've cultivated mm -hmm. over my years of climbing. And, and I think that would be a, a really fun trip to, to go down there and, and do some ice and mixed climbing, some rock climbing um, down in, in Patagonia. And um, I've almost gone a few times, but uh, either like a partner has, has fallen through with an injury or, or some, something else has come up that has prevented me. So mm. um, that, that's one thing that, that I've put on the back burner and, um, and, and would, like to, would like to do. So if that opportunity yeah. came up, you'd, you'd jump on it? Is it one? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. For yeah, sure. It's as beautiful down there. That's on my list too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. Um, what, in your words, what does it mean to be fit for adventure? Hmm. What does it mean to be fit for adventure? You know, it could mean, it could mean anything, you know, I mean, it could mean, you know, because adventures come in all shapes and sizes, right? And it's more of a headspace than, than a physicality. You know, in today's like social media heavy world, I mean, particularly in my world, you, you know, you see people hanging off of cliffs by their fingertips and you're like, whoa, that's what rock climbing is. Like, oh my God, I could never do that. Um, you know, but but adventure can be can be anything that's adventurous to you, right? It's just trusting that curiosity. So I really think that being fit for adventure is, is more of a headspace than, than kind of a, any sort of like physique or physicality. Well, I love that, man. Thank you. And uh, yeah. if, uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? And what do you offer? 
Oh yeah, totally. Um, so they can, they can get in touch with me either via my website or, or Instagram. Um, both are Alpine to the max. That's my, my website, alpine to the max.com or alpine to the max on Instagram. Um, and if you've got any questions about mountains or guiding or anything, uh, related to that, shoot me up, uh, hit me a message and, um, and, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm psyched to chat. So. Yeah. And, and I must say like you're the, the stuff that you post on Instagram, like the content you post is really helpful. It's really like useful and tactical stuff. If you're into climbing and, um, if you're really into the outdoors and, and adventure, like you post a lot of, um, the technical, um, knowledge side, the skill side. Yeah. And maybe, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really try and push paradigms, you know, and, and it's like, I, I'm the first one to acknowledge that like Instagram and social media is like not the greatest educational platform. Yeah. Right. And so like my philosophy is, you know, if I can teach you something through this, this platform, mm -hmm. um, then like imagine what a day out in the field with me is going to be like. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I love the, I love the conversations and like, you know, the back and forth. And I'm always trying to like push paradigms and like get people to think about things in, in a new way. Um, and often that makes people uncomfortable, but that's like, that's the space where we learn. So um, yeah, it's been really fun. I, I enjoy hosting that account and nice. um, yeah, it's been, it gives been you, fun. It gives you an opportunity to, to, to demonstrate your, your professionalism. Right. Sure. In, yeah, in, totally. In, in what you're teaching and then how you're handling comments and, and how you're engaging with people. Yeah. Too. And, and um, you know, I've personally learned a ton about like social media as a marketing uh, tool. And, yep. and it, it really comes down to positioning yourself, right? How, how mm -hmm. are people perceiving you? Um, as an expert in your field. And, and there's very, there's a lot of um, information out there, you know, that you don't know if you can trust you and, and you don't know yeah. who's behind it sometimes, especially these bigger guiding services. Um, mm -hmm. While they're, most of them are trustworthy, there's definitely some misinformation, or at least people that are uh, less qualified, and, and you definitely yeah. do a, a good job of, of, of placing yourself there as this uh, as an expert and, uh, yeah. I want to acknowledge you for that. And it's, and it's yeah. useful for me. Well, thank you. Um, so anyone, yeah. anyone, uh, looking for more information can definitely give you a follow and, um, I'll put a link yeah. for, for your website and everything in this. And, um, Max, thank you, man. This was, this was a ton of fun. I love this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, that was great. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. Imagine yourself 14,000 feet above the earth, looking out over the landscape below you. You can see for miles and your team is right by your side. You earned this view. You put in the effort. You committed to yourself and you followed through. Fit for adventure is an opportunity for you to cut off the distractions and put your mindset and your fitness to the test. 
so you can come out a stronger leader on the other side. You'll spend four days in the mountains of Colorado where you will practice outdoor skills and the art of leadership while building lifelong friendships and unforgettable memories. In life, there are so many distractions and it can be difficult to go about your day without losing focus. When you're on the mountain, you can only focus on so much. Your feet under you, the trail ahead, and the team you have around you. And every time you look up, you are reminded of your goal, the summit. And your team, they're thinking the same thing. Fit for Adventure begins July 13th and is open to 10 coaches and entrepreneurs who are making an impact on their communities and who value freedom and seeking challenges in order to grow. You're invited to join, and as a listener, you can grab your spot for a $150 deposit. Please visit mysummit.academy retreat or find the link in the show notes to apply. Will you answer your call to adventure?